Ten upsets everywhere. The Tides survive in Austin, and Scott Frost gets the boot at Nebraska in our Week 2 recap here on the 3 Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney alongside as well. Guys, it was a incredible day of college football action for most of you. For us... It was a little bit of a downer. We were in College Station for that historic upset. We'll get to all of that. But as we got back, we you know we, we got dinner afterwards. We're listening to games on the drive back to the Metroplex. We're watching highlights you know, the next day. What an unbelievable viewing experience from, from morning until night. You, you start your day with Alabama-Texas, a one-point win for the Crimson Tide, which we will break down in just a moment. Uh, but you, you also have, you know, the nightcaps. You've got Baylor BYU. You've got Oregon State hanging on a, a late comeback to beat Fresno State. Garrett, I, I feel like we picked the wrong week to not be in front of our television sets. Yeah, no, this was great. This was an awesome day to just kind of check the scoreboards, keep watching on. You know, obviously we were in the stadium for that game, but there were so many moments where we were, you know, screaming, why won't my phone load? Or, oh no, why is it frozen? You know, we were watching the end of that Alabama-Texas game from the stadium and, you know, it would like stop when they were trying to kick the field goal. <laughs> and so we, it, it was a bad day to not have good Wi-Fi connection or, or multiple screens in front of you. But getting to watch it, getting to experience it, see the scores and talk about everything was amazing. It was cool to kind of be together for that. So good day for college football. Maybe not so much for us, though. This was not just a good day for college football. This was an all-time day for college football. And unfortunately for us, as fans of the Texas A&M Aggies. We got to be on the wrong side of that great day of college football. And there's always going to be a team that's on that wrong side. Unfortunately, it was us this time, but we're going to keep it professional here. We're only going to get a little cathartic when we talk about that game. (laughs) And you know what? That's just the beauty of this dumb sport that we all love to follow. Sometimes the highs are immaculate, but the lows, oh my goodness, they are very, very low. And I want to go ahead and say you're welcome to all of our Michigan fans out there. Shout out Teddy. Shout out anyone else who likes Michigan football. Um, They won't be talking about your game with App State very much longer. So uh, good job. Congratulations from us to you. Yeah, there is another a new highlight for the Sun Belt to run. It was a banner day for the Sun Belt. Hashtag Fun Belt Conference. We'll get into that as well. Uh, Quick news and just housekeeping to to get through before we get into our week two recap, diving into the top stories and news. If you're not already following the show, please do so. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. You found this one, and we're so glad to have you with us. If you just hit that subscribe button, it helps us continue to grow. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at 3TechPod. Again, boosting those numbers, it helps us to 
continue to spread uh, our love of college football with the likes of you. And it's been a lot of fun growing the three tech family, talking to you guys on social media, hearing, hearing it uh, as, as Aggie fans, uh, a lot of DMS yesterday asking us how we were doing. The answer was not well, uh, but we're better today. As, as uh, Trey and Garrett both said, it was a beautiful day of college football. You know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And uh, that's, that's just part of this big, stupid game. The shout-out for the week to Pick'em goes to Caden, who we all kind of got beat up a little bit uh, in, in the Pick'em. It was uh, it was tough to figure out which side of a lot of these lines to be on. Caden went 6-3-1 uh, and one in the Pick'em, so congratulations to you for weathering what was an incredibly tough slate of games. Uh, but with the housekeeping out of the way, Trey, if you will hit the breaking news segment, just one major point to get across here as we start the show. We've been talking about it for a while, wondering when it would happen. And guys, news broke just a little bit before we hit record on this podcast. Scott Frost out as the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. They lost to Georgia Southern at home last night, 45-42. It's a game that we're going to break down in a little bit more detail coming up, but $15 million going the way of Scott Frost. That buyout would have been slashed in half on October the 1st. Nebraska 16-31 and 31 under Scott Frost. And assistant coach Mickey Joseph will take over. Just quickly, kind of reaction to that. Uh, this seems like a move that was decided a long, long time ago, and this was just truly the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, the only shocking thing about this is they didn't wait for the buyout to get cut in half, right? I'm sure some donor in Nebraska stepped up and said, hey, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. They probably got that figured out, but it was a $7.5 million decision to pull the plug now instead of October 1st or after the October 1st game. And you know what? Credit to Nebraska for analyzing the situation and seeing that that's the best decision for their program. So credit to them. Sad for Scott Frost. Really sad that it didn't work out for him in that homecoming situation. I think most neutral or not anti-Nebraska observers were hoping that that would work out, but just never did. And uh, they'll be looking for the guy to bring them back to prominence this offseason. Yeah, and I think a lot of Nebraska fans, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I think they're just kind of ready to move on. Kind of an embarrassing start to the year. You lose the game over across the sea and then, you know, almost lose last week. You finish it off with Georgia Southern. And you know, I just I think that that's just the time for them to, to finally move on. And, you know, it, it's really kind of confusing how they couldn't wait 19 days to wait for this thing to drop in half. But, you know, I don't know if it's a recruiting thing where they're just trying to make sure that they can get a class together let another guy come in and start to try to build this thing. I, I don't know exactly what they're trying to do here, but it's pretty clear he needed to go. And so, uh, yeah, hang in there, Nebraska fans. Y'all going to be okay. It feels like you've got to get better at this point. Uh, yeah, this is an expensive decision. No doubt that there are some strings being pulled behind the scenes to make sure that the athletic department probably isn't just wearing the entire brunt of that. But when it comes to saving your season – in, in the preseason, guys, we were talking about the potential for a seven and one, six and one, something like that. Nebraska team, they start one and two. They drop to Northwestern in Dublin. They drop a horrific game where their defense couldn't do a blessed thing yesterday at home against 
Georgia Southern, the Eagles of uh, Clay Helton's tenureship. I, you know, like I said, we'll get into that and in, in kind of break down the X's and O's in that game in just a minute. But uh, just such a head scratching tenure for Scott Frost that it feels like you had to do that to pull the plug to where not only do you have to save this season, but now you've, of course, you've got to think about the recruiting class, the early signing day, all these NIL decisions that go on. It, it's just a lot. So, again, we'll say probably more on that in, in just a moment. But Let's go ahead and start with our top story of the day. It was the featured game of the week. The Alabama Crimson Tide win by one against the Texas Longhorns in Austin. Guys, star up for Texas, star down for Bama. This was a weird game. It just felt like it was very un-Crimson Tide-like, very not what we're used to seeing from Bryce Young, from Nick Saban, from the Crimson Tide that has rolled in these non-conference matchups so often in in past years yeah no for me this game really neither team impressed me which I was a little surprised about I thought this was going to be a game where both teams looked real impressive on offense and it was going to be a bit of a shootout I think that's what a lot of people expected uh don't think any team anyone really expected a big defensive showing for me the team and you know maybe the defenses are really good but I, I think it had more to do with offenses not really executing you know on the Texas side you know they they didn't really execute plays. They didn't block particularly well down the stretch. Um, that ended up, I think, costing them their quarterback there in that game. Um, you know, after he came out kind of firing, losing pretty well, obviously losing Quinn Hurt. Um, I don't know how much that would have helped throughout the rest of the game, though. The blocking wasn't fantastic. That was more of a symptom. Maybe he doesn't get hurt throughout the game, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for him to do anything anyways. But, you know, after a couple of drives there, Texas had almost no success really moving the ball or sustaining drives. Um, but on the Alabama side, they didn't really either. They came out really flat. They scored on the first two drives, and then they went six straight drives ending in a punt. Uh, they scored halfway through the fourth quarter. That was the, the string of punt drives finally breaking there halfway through the fourth quarter. Um, Saban said it best in his press conference at the end of the game. They just didn't play Alabama football for the majority of that game. Um, big note on Alabama, too. Those corners struggled against some really talented receivers. They looked... They looked a little suspect, so that might be something where they get a little exposed throughout the year. Um, certainly think that, you know, Saban will have those guys playing better, and, you know, through the year maybe there's some improvement there as well. But um, definitely going to be looking at that to see if that makes a difference for games for Bama going forward. But I think overall just kind of an unexpected game uh, where I, I I wasn't particularly impressed either way. You know, hats off to Texas for keeping this thing close. I think a lot of people wrote them off. We certainly didn't think they were going to cover on this podcast, and so – you know, hats off to them for for keeping this one close and giving them everything. And special shout out to their fan base. They crushed it at game day. They crushed it, you know, being there in attendance, the the hype on Twitter before the game, seeing the line stretching around the thing. They showed up for their team. Um, that is, you know, <laughs> SEC ready. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that transitions in. But uh, hats off to Texas for the whole effort. Can we get those students a ticket pool where they can get reserved seats so yes, they can go please. tailgate, man? Like, what what are we doing, UT? But, yeah, absolutely right. Hats off to that fan base for showing out and being ready to go for that 11 a.m. kickoff. Man, hats off to the Texas defense as well. You mentioned Quinn Ewers going down early, changed the whole dynamic of that game. The defense absolutely could have packed it in. The um, offense really wasn't helping them out a lot after Quinn Ewers went down defense could have packed it in. They could have just said, Hey, this is not our day, but they 
held strong. They held down the Heisman Trophy winner in that vaunted offense. I think Bama might have a receiver problem too. We talk about their corners yep. not looking great, but maybe losing all that NFL talent at receiver that they've had over the last couple of years is finally catching up to Alabama. I know they look good against Utah State last week, but Utah State just lost to an FCS team handily. At yeah, home. They almost lost to UConn to start. Yeah, so, I mean, Bama has a lot of problems to figure out. They're fortunate to leave the state of Texas with a win this time, but there's a lot of problems they need to figure out. Obviously, officiating played a big role in this game as well. We don't want to go deep down that rabbit hole, but all I can say to the Texas fans that are listening is just welcome to the SEC. That is how it goes when you play Alabama, typically, with SEC officials, so... Hats off to the Texas defense. Hats off to that atmosphere. Alabama comes away with the win, but I think they're leaving Austin with way more questions than they had going into Austin. I I tweeted this out yesterday, and it started with the the Texas-Alabama game. Officials just continue to put on a brutal showing. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, for certain games that it always determines the outcome. It's very hard not to say that the officials did not play at least some substantial role in that. When you talk about Bryce Young, was clearly down in the end zone on that safety, what should have been a safety. They didn't even review the safety part. No, they didn't. They reviewed what it was targeting and then intentional grounding were the two reviews. And I mean, multiple freeze frames on in front and behind the play show Bryce Young's elbow clearly down with the ball in his possession. So Texas comes up short. On that call, the touchdown late in that game, um, or I guess the, the the final drive, I should say, that sets up the game-winning field goal for Alabama, just an egregious hole, hold by the Alabama right tackle. That springs the edge wide open for Bryce Young. He's able to get around the corner. It, it just th- there were several calls in that game around the country that again it 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 becomes. It's it's tough to sit and watch that and know that you know these guys are are ostensibly determining outcomes with no oversight seemingly from the conferences. I mean the SEC has had some of the worst officials in the country for years on end. The Big Twelve, same deal, and you never hear about penalties, repercussions, increased training programs, evaluations. You don't hear about any of that, and I just it, it's a tough look for the sport. So. You know, I think Texas, you do have a, a gripe, a tangible gripe there. Um, not ultimately, I don't think, the reason why you, you lost the game, although it certainly hurts. Quinn Ewers going down, that was, that was a brutal blow early in that game. Quinn, before he went down in the first quarter, had already thrown for 134 yards against that Bama secondary. Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, they were running rampant behind this tied secondary. There was nobody to stop them, and... You know, maybe if Quinn doesn't go down, you have more of an offensive slugfest. Who could say? Uh, the injury update on Quinn Ewers, by the way, I don't think anyone said it yet. Strained clavicle is the official diagnosis. Now, the college football media cannot seem to agree on what the the length of time is for him being out. You had uh, some sources reporting that it was four to six weeks. Bruce Feldman came in late to the party saying it was two to three weeks. As far as what I understand, as someone who's had a clavicle injury myself, uh, this is essentially the straining of the ligaments that attach the bone to the sternum. And this Mm. is not a 
ho-hum, see you next week kind of injury. So I, I, I'm more inclined to believe that this is going to be the a month to two month variety, which means crucially Quinn will not be the quarterback for the Red River, Red River rivalry. Initially, as you know, Feldman came out, it looked like maybe you could have him back for that game against Oklahoma. Now looking like the back half of the season, kind of best case scenario. So Hudson card season for the Texas Longhorns. He didn't look bad yesterday. I thought he was uh, an you know adequate game manager. I think it's going to be uh, certainly advantageous for him to take those QB1 snaps. A guy that, you know, depending on if you believe the the rumors, maybe beat out Quinn Ewers in the preseason, but at, at the very least, a guy that held his own. I think Texas is going to be fine at quarterback. Uh, you may lack the X factor that Quinn has flashed early, certainly in that first quarter against Alabama. But like I said, as we started this off, Star up for me for the Texas Longhorns. Bama, Trey, as you alluded to, a lot of questions to answer heading into week three. And I think if we can just say one more thing about this game. Texas, we've seen this from them before. Now is the time to show that this just wasn't a one-off thing, that you can actually hang with the top of the conference and you're not just going to play up or down to your competition. So Mm -hmm. we've seen this before. We've seen them play close. We've seen them win these big out-of-conference games before. Now it's time to show that that's not just a one-off thing. And crucially, that was under Tom Herman, right? That was Herman would get him up to play games, and then he'd fall off a cliff for some of those like small games. Let's see how Sark handles this and see how he handles some of that success, if he's going to let the guys you know, read their newspaper clippings, so to speak, or if he's going to keep them dialed in, ready to go. Well, we saw it under Herman. We saw it under Strong. We saw it under the end of Matt Brown. And sure, I sure. we saw it with Steve Sarkeesian last yeah, year. Yeah, you saw it last year. Yeah, we saw it last year with the Red River rivalry. So it's a big test for this Texas program. Can they? I mean, they didn't win that game, but. Well, they didn't win the Bama game. So we got to see that they can compete with the top teams on their schedule and not turn around and lose to the bottom teams on their schedule. Yeah, consistency will be key for uh, for Texas for sure. All right, guys, we got to take this head on. Uh, We'll we'll package this in a three-pack here. The Sun Belt's dominance yesterday Honestly, Sunbelt, we, we identified them as a very, very fun conference to watch in years past, particularly heading into this season. We were really excited to see what they could do. And oh boy, did they deliver in spades. You had Appalachian State knocking off number six, Texas A&M. Marshall knocking off number eight, Notre Dame. And Georgia Southern ending the tenure of Scott Frost in that game last night, 45-42. Let's start with Texas A&M. They came out as flat as they possibly could have. This is an App State team that has no business on paper competing with Texas A&M. The four and five star discrepancy, I've forgotten who tweeted this out. App State one four star, uh, or I'm sorry, one former five star in Chase Bryce on the team. Texas A&M north of 40, four and five stars. And yet App State was the better team on the field yesterday. We watched that in person. The offensive line, one of the most experienced offensive lines in the country for the Mountaineers. They blew what is the most talented defensive line in college football, at least on paper, off the ball numerous times yesterday. App State did not move the chains uh, in, in bunches, but rather they sat on the football. They took the air out of it. The possession time and the total plays are frightening. If you're Texas A&M, 82 total plays run by Appalachian State, 38 for Texas A&M. Uh, possession time heavily in favor of the Mountaineers, 41 and a half minutes 
of possession time for App State offensively. Trey, I'll turn this over to you, man. Um, you got to tip your cap to App State, no doubt about it. They played a whale of a football game. They played, I think, as good of a football game as they possibly could have. And still, Texas A&M should have won this game. They had multiple opportunities that they just did not take advantage of. A couple turnovers cost them as well. Um, uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you here. Where where do you go if you're Texas A&M? 100% credit to App State. They came out ready to play. They came out from the word go and just looked like they wanted to be there more. Maybe you can attribute that to A&M looking ahead a little bit to Miami, but by halftime when it was tied 7-7 and you were lucky to be tied 7-7, that should have been more than enough of a wake-up call to the Aggie players, to the Aggie coaching staff. But goodness, guys, we were there, and there just wasn't any energy on that sideline. There just wasn't any energy in that stadium. Guys were hanging their heads. Guys were missing assignments left and right. It was an everything that could go wrong, went wrong game for Texas A&M. Battle line play, bad snaps from the center, bad throws at bad times from Haynes King. Couldn't get off the field on defense, couldn't stay on the field on offense. They missed the game-tying field goal in an effort that just didn't look competitive from the kicker. Like, I could keep going, but you get the picture. It was anything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong and that led to a loss you can overcome some of those things happening but never all of those things happening they're just not ready to play Jimbo Fisher and his staff didn't adjust as the game went on and it really cost him the offense has to get better plain and simple has to complement that defense defense has to get off the field so the offense gets more opportunities to get in a rhythm or guys we might be looking at a team that might not make a bowl game if those things don't get fixed yeah yeah, if you're looking for positives as an Aggie fan, just about everything did go wrong. So if you can turn anything around, you might actually still be a good team. Uh, but if you're looking at this from just yesterday's standpoint, App State came out and they flat out outplayed and outcoached Texas A&M. And I think the outcoaching is a little bit more of the concerning bit if you're the Aggies. You know, you, you believe yeah. that you have this coach here. You believe that you have a guy who can take you to the top. And a team comes in there with a game plan that he just could not adjust to. You know, App State decided they wanted to run the football. They went backside a lot. They did a lot of, you know, kind of cutbacks and, you know, tight ends coming across the formation and things like that to get to that backside of the play. And they abused them almost all game long. They'd pick up, you know, five, six yards, five, six yards on a play that looked dead. Um, and so, you know, that that that's really concerning that they couldn't adjust to that. Uh, you know, obviously this is a new defensive coordinator, but you know, Durkin didn't have those problems at Ole Miss. I'm wondering if there's an issue with the scheme, if there's an issue with how it's being implemented uh, for Durkin. And then if we're just being completely honest, you know, they didn't do anything offensively that was inspiring, you know, besides the touchdown drive in the first half, they had nothing but three and outs in the first half. I think they technically the first drive, they picked up the first down and then they went three and out. Um, and so it, it was three and outs pretty much the whole the whole first half. You came out, you touched the ball three more times in the second half. You had three possessions in the second half, not including obviously the kick return from A chain, which was mm -hmm. awesome to watch. But you know, it, it it just really concerns me that you don't have any plays in your playbook that you think can work on a day when your offense isn't operating. Right? That, that that's really concerning to Aggie fans. And you know, if you're, if you're looking at this, this is time for the guy that's getting paid all that money to strip it down and figure something out that works because you got Miami coming to town next week and then you start SEC play and it's got to get better in a hurry. I think we'll, we'll see and, and probably talk about this more in the preview of that Texas A&M Miami game, because 
listen, as bad as AM looked this this week, that will still be one of the major games across the country. So we will preview that um, for the midweek episode. A couple more stats here, and, and we'll wrap this up and move on. AM uh, possessed the ball for less than 20 total minutes. They had eight total possessions, five in the first half, three in the second half. They did not pass or rush for 100 yards in either stat. Uh, Appalachian State had 22 first downs in the game, AM just nine. And on third downs, AM only converted twice. The, the big story as we were watching this game unfold, and Garrett, you alluded to it, the defense could not get off the field for AM. It wasn't necessarily that they played poorly, but they couldn't come up with a splash play. They couldn't come up with that crucial third down stop. And because App State was such an underdog going into this game, they literally came out with the never punt mentality. They went for it on uh, fourth down five times. They got three of them. You look at the rushing yards and, and even the passing yards for that matter. I mean, Bryce Young only threw for 135 yards. They only rushed for, uh, I forgot what the final total was, but I don't believe they made it to 300 total yards of offense. The difference was though, App State was able to run for three and a half yards a carry, which doesn't sound all that impressive, but when you're going for it, nearly every time you reach fourth down, you're you're going to pick those up, right? The, the two uh, times that they didn't get it on fourth down, App State threw the football. Every single time they lined up, mano a mano against AM's defensive front to run the football, they got that first down, which is extremely concerning. A lot of questions about the offensive line for Texas A&M. Matthew Wyckoff was about as bad as you could have been snapping the football yesterday. Trey, you know, you were you were big on this. It was throwing off the timing. It was making Haynes King go from plan A to plan G immediately because the reads were going to be thrown off. The timing was off. It just did not look good. King did miss some throws. He had a chance to win the game late. Had a couple of very, very open receivers that he just missed. And ultimately, it was uh, one of the reasons why AM did not get in the end zone there late. But no doubt, a lot of questions for Jimbo and this staff to – Come up with AM in the AP poll dropped from 6th to 24th, 18 spots after a historic loss to App State yesterday. Marshall, 26, Notre Dame, 21. Marcus Freeman, guys, he's 0-3 for the first time in Notre Dame history. A new coach has never started out 0-3. Henry Columby and the Thundering Herd find a way to upset Notre Dame. It was the turnovers that really hurt the Fighting Irish, Trey. Yeah, it was the turnovers and just the lack of being able to run the ball. Similar story to the AM game in a lot of ways, but really what it came down to is Notre Dame just could not run the ball consistently. They put it in the hands of Tyler Buckner, and Tyler Buckner just wasn't ready for that moment. He wasn't ready, it seemed like, to have the game on his shoulders, even against a Marshall team that on paper should be overmatched and not a difficult test for him. So you know, I'm really concerned about the direction of this offense. I think you could write off last week only scoring 10 points against Ohio State. Obviously, Ohio State is a talented team with a Jim Knowles defense that's going to throw a lot of different looks at you. We talked about that, but not doing it against Marshall and scoring, you know, only, I think it was, they only had 14 points before garbage time in that mm -hmm. game. And uh, they scored a garbage time touchdown and went for two and didn't get it. But just really looked disjointed on offense. Tyler Buckner looked like he wasn't ready for the moment. And they didn't get Chris Tyree involved. That's what I'm really concerned about. He only had five touches in the game. 
two receptions, three carries. They have got to get one of their best players more involved on the offense. And the schedule doesn't get any easier. I, we talked about the same thing with AM. This is not a situation where you're going to come back from this and have an easier game next week. It's They've got to get it figured out on offense. Defense still looks okay. Defense is still making plays, but no rhythm on offense, no establishment of the running game, throw a pick six late in a close game, and that's going to equal getting upset at home. Yeah, as soon as I saw him go down in this game, I started to wonder, man, like, is this just like a an upset letdown spot after that big game last week? And I mean, that must have been it. I, I didn't see as much of this as you did, Trey, but man, I just they did not look good whenever I was watching this game. They, they didn't look like they had any sort of idea what to do on offense. Um, the, the score is obviously closer than the game was because that last touchdown did come in garbage time. So not a great showing from Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame fans, you know, they could have forgiven sort of so far, you know, losing Oklahoma State and the bowl game, obviously. It's a bowl game that wasn't really your team all year, so you did what you could. Losing to Ohio State, sure, they're a good squad, but Marshall, that's a little concerning to me. And Notre Dame's schedule, it's not like it gets any easier. You know, you, you drop to Marshall. That was a game that I had kind of identified as maybe a question mark. Not not that Marshall was going to win it, but I did say this is kind of a, a tough spot for Notre Dame following an Ohio State game. Now, I handled the, the Cal preview. They, they play a 2-0 Cal Golden Bears team that has shown that they can put up some points early on now, albeit against inferior competition. They just blew out UNLV uh, late last night. But still, this Cal team, they're known for defense. And a Notre Dame team that is struggling to move the football and put points on the board, this is not the opponent that they want to find in week three. So a lot of questions about this Notre Dame team. I thought they hung with Ohio State and did a lot of things good in week one. They did a lot of bad in week two, and I'm for sure concerned about the Fighting Irish. Uh, they, they've got to get things on track very, very quickly. Last game to cover here in the Sun Belt, Georgia Southern 45, Nebraska 42. We talked about Scott Frost getting fired. Georgia Southern moved the football. Kyle Van Treese, the Buffalo transfer at quarterback, threw for over 400 yards. The Eagles rushed for 233 yards in what's supposed to be one of the most intimidating venues in all of college football and Memorial Stadium. Nebraska's offense looked good. They, they were not the, the side to blame here. 318 yards for Casey Thompson through the air, 257 on the ground. The problem was their defense could not get off the field, especially on third down. Nebraska was giving up 7.3 yards per play through the air and 7.8 on the ground. That is not a recipe for success if you're Nebraska football I don't really know where they go from here. I mean, they've dropped two extremely winnable games, and your schedule is only going to get tougher. You've got Oklahoma this week, if I'm reading the schedule right. So, I mean, guys, what what does Nebraska do? Do they even make a bowl game this season? I mean, I think they can. I think it's really just a good time to turn it around, right? We, we talked about it. They have an easier schedule in the front half, right? Now, obviously, they haven't handled it very well so far. But sometimes you can see this happen where they galvanize around sort of a, a coaching change or a hard moment and they can sort of, you know, get the troops going and, you know, rally around something. They're going to have to do that. Now, I don't know what the season's going to look like going forward, but they have some players. They have some talent. They can certainly beat some of these teams. And it's not like their division is looking super good right now, right? There's some certainly some teams they can beat in that division if they can find 
a rhythm on offense, something to play for on defense, get your attitude right, get your mind right. You know, sometimes you just got to get the stink out of the locker room. You know, that's all that it is, is you got a little bit of stink on you and you just got to wash that off. So, you know, it was an embarrassing day for a lot of teams in college football yesterday. I think Nebraska might have had the worst of it, but that it just kind of felt like it was a uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it's, yeah. you know, of course we lost to Georgia. Why wouldn't we? You know, a, a lot of that attitude from the fan base just saying, yeah, sure, why not? Okay. You know, and so it, it sucks. You know, I said it off the top. You know, y'all are going to be okay. Husker fans, it's, it's going to work out for you guys. I do believe they're going to get this one right. Um, but, yeah, just got to get there. Yeah, if you're looking for hope as a Huskers fan, maybe look at Texas Tech from last year who – was one of the first teams to fire their head coach and Matt Wells and then turned around and still made a bowl game. Sometimes, like you said, Garrett, just getting that monkey off your back, getting the stink out of the locker room, as you put it, is super helpful to the team and just makes a team go, grow closer. Could go either way, though. You could see them come together. You could see them rally around each other and make a bowl game. You could also see them maybe win only one more game this year, looking at their schedule. But That's as you possible. alluded to... As you alluded to, and as you talked about, that Western division after yesterday is all of a sudden wide open. It was not a banner day for the Big Ten West yesterday. No, it wasn't. And we'll get to that in more detail coming up. One last note on this, Gerald Green, running back for Georgia Southern. Shout out to you, 132 yards on the ground, two touchdowns for the Eagles in the win. Clay Hilton might be might be putting something together there at, at Georgia Southern. something down there. That's, that's right. Uh, just quietly. Uh, in 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 the works down there, and he knocks off Nebraska in just his second game uh, down south. BYU twenty six, Baylor twenty. Baylor Bears in double overtime cannot go on the road and close this out. Look, guys, you you were both on BYU covering this number. I had Baylor plus the points, thinking they were going to keep it close, and they did. This was a very close, physical, slug it out type of game. Probably if BYU makes a couple of kicks, and I put hashtag college kickers in our show doc here, maybe it's not quite as close. Although, actually, BYU might not have covered this number had their kicker just made two kicks that he had at the end of, or he had one kick at the end of regulation, one of them uh, in that first overtime. It, It felt like BYU controlled this game for the majority of it. Blake Shapin was not able to do anything. 18 to 28, 137 yards uh, and uh, one uh, touchdown. So not really dynamic through the air. Trey, you identified this as the big concern for the Baylor Bears in our preseason. Yeah, and Mitch, you're absolutely right. You would have gotten your Baylor cover if hashtag college kickers didn't uh, show themselves. And also just shout out to the BYU team for rallying around their kicker. I don't know if you guys saw that, but... um, they just embraced him after they finally did win that game in double overtime. He had the opportunity to win in regulation. He had the opportunity to win in the first overtime and they still got it done and credit to BYU for just battling through that adversity. You know, it it would be really easy to not show up in overtime, really, really easy to not show up in double overtime. Just feel like it's not your day if you can't make the game winning kick twice, but Shout out to them and shout out to this BYU defense. That was my question mark on the Cougars going into this season is could they put together a better season on the defensive side of the ball? Early returns are looking really good. They shut down Baylor's offense for most of this game. And yeah, Mitch, like you said, that skill position talent from Baylor, who's going to step up? 
the the running backs looked okay today. Craig Williams and Quaylen Jones combined for 135 yards, but that was on 33 carries, so mm-hmm. just over four yards a carry, barely uh, between the two of them. And the leading receiver was uh, Hal Presley with just 33 yards. So mm-hmm. they've got to find somebody to step up. I don't know if that somebody is on the roster currently, but before they get into Big 12 play, which is coming up very, very soon, they've got to find someone to step up and give Shapin a reliable target. Yeah, man, did I pick the wrong team from Utah this year? Um, no, I've, <laughs> I've still got a lot of questions about Baylor, right? I had some questions about them going into the year. Didn't think they were going to be a real threat in the Big 12 this year. I know, Mitch, you were obviously a lot higher on them going in, but I had some question marks. And going into this game, I did kind of anticipate that Shapen was going to struggle, right? I, I said last week, I thought that on the road, you know, first real road test, um, that he was probably going to struggle. And man, did that BYU student section show up and, and they were crazy all day. Um, that, that was awesome for them. But yeah, man, did the Cougars look good beating them. They look great on defense, like you were talking about, Trey. They still need to prove, I think, to me, before I'm ready to buy in on the BYU hype, that they can kind of air it out a little bit more. Uh, Chase Roberts, the freshman, had a great game. He caught eight balls for 122 and a touchdown. That was their passing touchdown. Um, I'd like to see Jaron Hall kind of air it out a little bit more. They did give him almost 40 attempts, but he only completed 23 for 261 and that one touchdown that went to Chase Roberts. So, you know, I, I want to see him kind of spread it out a little bit more, try to throw that ball a little bit more than they did. You know, let your defense do what it's going to do. When you have a defense at this level, you can afford to take some shots. You can afford to try to make some plays. So that's what I think is their kind of last step before I can, you know, truly go all in on BYU here. But, man, they looked really good. They played a good Baylor team. They beat a good Baylor team. I'm excited to see how this season goes, and I'm really anticipating that matchup with Arkansas later. Good news if you're a Baylor Bear fan. That might be the toughest road game you have the rest of the year. I think maybe the most hostile environment that you're going to go into. And, look, you competed for four quarters, right? You forced double overtime. You find a way to give yourself as many chances to win as you could in the end that Cougars defense was just a little bit too tough for you to overcome, at least early on in the season. So I'm excited to see what happens with Baylor as we head into conference play. But uh, the Grimes Bowl, one and one now. Baylor won last year. BYU won this year. Uh, We might have to set up a three-peat. And before, uh, Garrett, you highlighted the Arkansas game, but BYU has a road trip to Autzen Stadium in Oregon next week. So big gut check game. They're coming down from an emotional win. I would love to see them knock off the Oregon Ducks. And if they can knock off Oregon, that playoff dark horse talk is going to start up in full force. And I am here for it. Trey's going to be leading the charge. uh, No no doubt on that. All right, guys, let's go to the swamp here. Uh, Number 20, Kentucky knocks off number 12, Florida, 26-16. Garrett, I'll start with you here. Anthony Richardson, the one concern that we had with him is his passing ability, right? We, We questioned his reputation as a true authentic passer it did not show up here tonight for that game and honestly that's probably the reason why Florida did not win a close game at home yeah and I picked Florida to win this one because I said I thought that you know they'd be able to improve in the past game that you'd see some improvement from week one to week two you know Utah they have some really good DBs so I thought maybe that was shutting it down a little bit but man, there was not improvement in the past game. And, and I did mention that if that didn't improve, it could be a long day with Kentucky just kind of filling those rush lanes and making it hard for them to do anything. 
that's what it looked like. It looks like AR, he's kind of just limited in what he can do as a passer. You know, it looks like he's not going to be able to be that guy right now. Um, you know, anything can happen, right? You go through a season, you can develop, you can improve. Maybe there's something that clicks in practice. But at the moment, he hasn't shown you he's going to be able to win it in the air. Um, look, I think this is just the fact that the better team won in a tough spot on the road. Um, this is just the better team winning in this case. And I'll let you guys talk a lot more about Kentucky, but I was really impressed with how they came out, went into this, you know, again, like I said, hostile environment, really tough place to play, especially coming off that big week one win for Florida. But uh, yeah, they, they were just the better team and they won that game. Yeah, I, I fully agree that Kentucky's the better team. And when that line came out as a four and a half point favorite for uh, Florida, I was just so confused by that. It was week one overreaction textbook. And, you know, Florida had every right to be really excited about that win over Utah. Were they the 12th best team in the country? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, they, they got a huge win, but they were not the 12th best team in the country. And Kentucky came out and proved that they are still ahead in the pecking order in the SEC East as of right now. So Kentucky had a better quarterback and a better defense in Florida. And I think they have a better quarterback and defense in Utah as well. Will Levis' stat line, it wasn't overly impressive. He threw for 202 yards on just over 50% completion, had a touchdown, had a pick, but he was just able to handle the pressure better than Anthony Richardson. He was able to step into the moment. He was able to make the big plays when he needed to. Kentucky run game, I, I was still surprised that they didn't uh, run the ball as well as I thought they could have. And they're obviously missing Chris Rodriguez. I don't know when he's scheduled to come back. I don't know if either of you guys do, but he's Mitch is telling me this week, but he was dealing with some legal trouble. I think this off season. So yeah, he, him coming back and uh, maybe just cleaning up the special teams a little bit for Kentucky will do wonders for them. And I think it'll prove that they're an actual contender in the sec East. Yeah. I believe Chris Rodriguez should be back this week. He was dealing with a two game suspension from the NCAA for I think it was academics, but Kentucky said he was he had cleared everything up. That the NCAA was slow getting his transcript. I'm not. I'm not exactly. I thought sure, he but... might have gotten arrested this off season too, but that could be totally unrelated to the suspension for sure. Yeah, uh, who who could say? There there are guys getting suspended all over the place, and we're just trying to play catch up. Um, you're right though. Kentucky without him running the ball was dreadful. They rushed for 70 total yards, 1.8 a carry. So they've got to clean that up if they want to compete for the SEC East title with Georgia and Tennessee. I will say, though, in defense of Anthony Richardson, there's a potential that he got hurt in the first quarter. I saw a clip of him basically getting his his legs kind of twisted up on a pass attempt early on in the game, and he was kind of hobbled the rest of the night. That being said, though, 14 of 35 for 143 yards and two picks, including a pick six in the third quarter. Not going to do it. So, you know, a lot of people pronounce time of death on Anthony Richardson's Heisman candidacy. I think that's a bit premature as well. Everyone, it seems like, gets one stinker, including Bryce Young last year. So, you know, if Florida turns it around and they maybe only drop one other game going forward and Anthony Richardson looks like the truth, then, hey, we might see you in New York. But that stat line, certainly not going to get it done. For Kentucky, tight end Dane Key, really, really nice night for the Wildcats. What little passing did happen through that Wildcats offense? It went through Key, three catches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. After the snap into the end zone for a safety on a punt attempt for Kentucky, 
The Wildcats scored the next 19 points in that game to ultimately win by 10, and seven of those, of course, coming a la the pick six. So I agree. I think we get back a little bit to homeostasis here. Florida, not as good as what a lot of people were pronouncing them to be in week one. I think they're going to be better than what we thought they might be this season. They look very solid. They look like a competitive team. You got to do it for 12 straight games, though, and that will be the big question for Florida. I think Kentucky, for my money, probably the second best team in the East if they can get that running game going. Their defense is better than what Tennessee will put on the field. But as we're actually about to talk about in Tennessee and Pitt, volunteer offense, man, they're very, very good. Um, and I guess we can jump right into that. Twenty-four, Number 24, Tennessee, 34, number 17, Pitt, 27. That game goes to overtime. Hendon Hooker's that dude, man. He looks very, very good. Uh, he's 27 of 42 for two touchdowns over 300 yards passing in an overtime win. Did not throw a pick. 7.7 yards per pass. Pitt looked good too. They moved the football, but in the end, that Tennessee offense just a little bit too much for, for Pitt to handle in a very, very close road game loss. Yeah, Hooker yeah. for Heisman has a nice yeah. ring to it, man. They came out, and I, I was thinking that this wouldn't be a blowout going into the game. I thought Pitt would slow the game down. I thought that their offense would do just enough to keep them in the game, and their secondary would be a really nice weapon. And I think that proved to be correct. Tennessee does cover the six-and-a-half-point spread with their overtime touchdown and extra point. But, yeah, I mean, credit to Pitt for keeping it close. I think Pitt is still an absolute force in the ACC. I think the road to that ACC title game will have to go through Pittsburgh. I don't see anything from these first two weeks to make me question that. But Hinton Hooker, man, it's it's time to start singing the praises. Maybe some of that praise that was going to Anthony Richardson needs to be redirected up to Knoxville because – He's that guy, like you said, Hooker for Heisman has a really nice ring to it. Yeah, no, I think Hendon Hooker is probably the second best quarterback in the SEC right now. Um, he should have them really competitive all year. I saw a lot that I was really excited about. The funny thing is, looking at the stat line, you almost felt like it was kind of you know normal for him, right? You see the stat line and you're saying, okay, he played well, right? But you didn't, you know, the eyes didn't pop. You didn't feel like this was a crazy number because I think we kind of started to expect that from him, right? We started to expect that he's going to show up and he's going to put up huge numbers. The no turnovers, that was really nice. We like that. Um, and look, on the Pittsburgh side, they certainly have the play, the flair for the dramatic this early in the season. Yes, you know, do. It doesn't seem like they want to play a normal game, and that's going to give Pitt fans you know, several moments of increased blood pressure and you know, heart rate and things like that this <laughs> year. So um, you know, shout out to the Pitt fans. Y'all are real for doing this. But – I think at the end of the day, it was just they weren't as consistent. You know, they weren't as consistent. They went up kind of big to start, and they couldn't put them away. You know, they just kept, you know, giving them the opportunity to get back in this game. Hendon Hooker did what he needed to do. And, you know, with a little bit more consistency, maybe Pitt's celebrating this one. You know, maybe they're thinking about, you know, how they've turned this season into something really good, improving on last year. But it seems like, you know what, that was just a better team in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, you didn't bury him. You just didn't get it done at the end of the day. It was 10-0 pit early, and it could have been 17-0, but a tipped pass in the end zone was picked off by Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee then dominates the second quarter. They ultimately take the lead going into the halftime break, 24-17. An absolute dime from Hinden, McCook, uh, Hinden Hooker to Brew McCoy uh, late in that second quarter to really get the Tennessee hype train flowing. Keaton Slovis, very, very solid day. 
He pulled off a miracle on fourth and goal with two minutes left to tie it up with a touchdown pass in the back of the end zone as he's being dragged to the turf, throws across his body, finds a wide, or not a wide open, but a, a open wide receiver. Uh, ultimately, though, they just ran out of gas, right? Uh, they get a, a tackle for loss, first play of, of overtime, and then another dime from Hendon Hooker, 28-yard touchdown pass. Pitt gets behind the chains. They're not able to answer. Tough, tough loss for Pitt. I think they defended home turf as well as you, you could have expected them to outside of just winning the game outright. I don't have a big concern about Pitt coming out of this game. I think Tennessee's probably the better team. But, Trey, I agree. I, I think Pitt's going to be an absolute force in the ACC. Um, so, check checks on a lot of questions for me for both of these teams. Guys, let's go to the Big Ten. It was a rough day for the West. You have Washington State upsets Wisconsin 17-14. Wazoo plus 17. That's a check. You had Duke over Northwestern 31-23. And Iowa State finally. Uh, Matt Campbell wins the Cyhawk Trophy 10 to seven. Charles, start with you. Where do you want to start here in the Big Ten? I'll start in Madison because Washington State, of course, was one of my darling teams. I thought the over-under of five and a half was just criminal for the Cougars um, and what they were going to bring on offense. That offense hasn't shown up yet this mm. season against Idaho and Wisconsin, but man, did the defense show up just shutting down Graham Mertz and the Badgers. That was shocking to me. I, I thought they would keep the game competitive. I liked Washington State plus 17, but did not think they had a chance to go into Madison and win that game. But all of a sudden, our Golden Gophers, Mitch, are just window of opportunity is wide open after they oh, took care of business yesterday and the rest of the division is just crumbling. It is. It is. Everything's falling, falling apart around our Minnesota Gophers. Let's row the boat, baby. Yeah, no, looking at Wisconsin, looking at Iowa, they both put up some stinkers, obviously not a whole bunch for Iowa early on, right? You know, we, we've put up a total of 14 points to this point in the season. Nice job for the offense actually getting on the board, though. Uh, good for them. Um, I told you all that this was going to be probably the worst game to watch, and it looks like I was vindicated there as well. This is an ugly game that somebody had to win, uh, <laughs> and the Cyclones got it done. <laughs> good job to the Cyclones. Congrats on uh, getting that trophy, but it doesn't look like Iowa's ready to be competitive in the Big Ten. It just doesn't look like anyone on that side of the division really wants to win that division right now. Um, it could be the Gophers that end up doing that thing. But, man, I just don't know if I have a really compelling reason to pick any of these teams right now to win that division. None of them have looked particularly good. I do want to shout out Duke again. That's my darling right there. We're almost we're halfway there to our number we needed to hit. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you with a big-time matchup with Kansas next week. Uh, see if they can kind of keep this thing rolling. But uh, yeah, not great for the Big Ten right now. Yeah, I, I think for, listen, it's it's a non-conference loss for Wisconsin. So it's not like you're sinking your ship there. But I do think only scoring 14 at home against a Washington State team that's not known for defense, that's extremely concerning. We, we had questions about Graham Mertz coming in. This was supposed to be the year that he stepped up, became the guy, led Wisconsin back to relevance and back to a Big Ten title game, that could all happen. It just, none of it happened yesterday. And, you know, even without Washington State, we thought if Washington State even is competitive in this game, they're going to have to do everything right offensively. They didn't. Honestly, the biggest play of the game was Cameron Ward throwing a pick that then was fumbled by Wisconsin 
the Badgers would have taken over in the third quarter, already up seven in plus territory, but the ball gets knocked out of the defender's hands. Washington State gets a new life. Ultimately, they go on to win 17-14 as opposed to, you know, maybe losing 21-10 as it could have stood there. So I agree. I think Minnesota, the team to watch here in the West, Duke, 31 over Northwestern. And, And gosh, we were talking about this at lunch yesterday, or I guess heading into the stadium. The way that Northwestern lost that football game, fumbling what could have been the game tying score, they would have needed a two point conversion, but fumbling it on the goal line, literally the last defender to make contact, knocks the ball loose. Duke improves to two and zero. The talent isn't there for the Blue Devils, at least I don't think it is. But I tell you what, that team is playing hard for their new head coach. They are bringing the energy onto the field. And Gary, you're right. I mean, low key game of the week for podcasters around the country might be Duke. In Kansas getting ready to square off. We'll talk about Kansas in just a second. Uh, Trey, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Cyhawk game. That was an ugly, ugly football game. The one note that I will say, after not moving the ball all day long, Hunter Deckers led a 99-yard touchdown drive for the Cyclones. That was ultimately the game winner. So when they absolutely had to have the offense, they got it, but not a moment before. Yeah, and you know maybe the Voodoo's finally cleaned off of that Iowa State program playing the Hawkeyes, but... Not a pretty game. Still a lot of question marks for Iowa State even getting the win, but hats off to them for winning a rivalry game. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, Illinois knocked off Virginia 24-3. That was surprising to all of us. We all thought Virginia's offense would win that game outright for the Cavaliers, let alone stay in it. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, the rest of the conference, they all really handled business. Uh, the, the stat line that, that I think Trey pointed out Seven receptions, 184 yards, and three touchdown catches for Marvin Harrison Jr. against a helpless uh, Arkansas State team. But look, win win the games that you're supposed to win. Texas A&M was supposed to do that yesterday. They did not. Let's head over to the Big 12, where one of the headlining games was an absolute shootout in the afternoon window. Texas Tech, 2-0. My Red Raiders, 33 over the Houston Cougars, who scored 30 It was a two-overtime win. It was actually an incredibly sloppy game. Looking back at the stats, Donovan Smith, who's in at quarterback now for the Red Raiders, he threw two two touchdowns, ran in another one, threw for uh, 351 yards, excuse me, but also had three picks. Just continued to turn the football over, give Houston an opportunity to get back into this game. Uh, Holgerson mentioned in his press conference it was a slow offensive start. They were down 17-3 to at halftime penalties late as well kept them from ultimately coming all the way back and winning this one in overtime but guys Texas Tech they're 2 and 0 now they go to NC State with a undefeated record I, I was really hoping that's what was going to be set up for week 3 and we've got it yeah that might be the game of the week next week Texas Tech going to North Carolina to take on the Wolfpack of NC State Donovan Smith played about as well I think of as you could hope as a backup quarterback against a ranked team. I know he threw three picks, but the offense looked a lot better um, yeah. than it has at other points when we've seen uh, Tyler Shuck in there. So I'm hoping that that lights a spark for Texas Tech. I hope they get a lot of confidence. Um, I know the Red Raider fans that I know were really excited about that win yesterday. So another team to look out for in the Big 12. It seems like more and more of these quote-unquote bottom feeders in the Big 12 are getting big wins to start the year. 
That's right. My Joey, Joey McGuire darling. Tell you what, five and a half. It's it's looking good. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they can do against the Wolfpack this next week. Elsewhere around the Big 12, Oklahoma State 34, Arizona State 17. Kansas State dominates Missouri. We'll talk about that drive chart in just a second. Missouri threw four picks in 10 plays against the Wildcats. Just a brutal showing for Eli Drinkowitz and company. Kansas 55, West Virginia 42 in overtime. Oklahoma handles business over Kent State despite a slow start, 33-30. And TCU wins 59-17. Trey, we talked about Oklahoma State. That was one of the games that we previewed. 34-17 ended up being my lock of the week. Slow start for the Pokes, but ultimately they do down Sparky at home. Yeah, nice slow cooking for the Cowboys over the Sun Devils at home. They didn't look great at the start of the game. It was a really slow start offensively. I think it was three to nothing after the first quarter, and then maybe uh, they they scored seventeen points to get that a little bit more going before the half, and eventually pulled away in the second half. But Oklahoma State, to me right now, looks like the team to beat in the Big Twelve. And conference play coming up soon, I think you're going to see the Cowboys really start to separate themselves. Yeah, I I agree. I I think that Spencer Sanders, as long as he's not turning the football over, he's one of the X factors in this conference. And I was was really happy with the way they responded. Slow start, early interception by Spencer Sanders. Uh, They were down 3-0 early on, but they roar back and uh, ultimately take it over the Sun Devils. Uh, Kansas 55, West Virginia 42. Garrett called this, and Garrett's having some connection issues, so he might be able to weigh in on this. He might not, but Kansas outright over West Virginia. Turney called it. I think we all took Kansas, or most of us took Kansas plus the points. It was plus 13, but uh, the Jayhawks, oh my goodness. They're 2-0 and to start this season, as we talked about, heading into an undefeated matchup against the Duke Blue Devils. I freaking flip-flopped at the last second picking this game. I chickened out didn't take the Jayhawks. I had it written down and then I switched and picked in West Virginia. Garrett, I know you're having connectivity issues right now, but shout out to you, my brother. That was a great call. And yes, you did hear that score correctly. Kansas won by 13 in a game that went to overtime because they got a touchdown followed by a pick six that was completely unnecessary, but also completely awesome. Uh, we've got OU taking care of business. I mentioned it was a slow start. They were actually down 3 nothing against Kent State at home for a good chunk of that first half. Uh, and then TCU rolls all over Tarleton State. Big 12 looked pretty good. Uh, we'll, we'll wait and see how they look once they start beating up on each other. But as far as the non-conference slate has gone, they've been very, very impressive. Let's move on over to the ACC. <sighs> a lot of scores to get through here. Virginia Tech 27, BC 10. Trey, I think someone broke the Eagles in the offseason and forgot to tell the rest of us. Yeah, it's not a good state in Chestnut Hill right now. It should be better. Phil Dracovic and Zay Flowers can be an electric combination. I just don't know what's working, not working right now for BC, but nothing seems to be going right for the Eagles. And America was on the Eagles here, plus the points heading into Blacksburg. A lot of people thought Virginia Tech was the more broken of the two teams it, not not the case. Jeff Halfley has got a lot of questions to answer here. North Carolina, maybe the most perplexing 3-0 team in the country. They beat <laughs> Georgia State 35-28. The Panthers covered the spread. It was 7.5 uh, at home for Georgia State. Again, ACC uh, scheduling some str- 
strange non-conference games. But UNC, they do win on the road in uh, against a very plucky Georgia State team. I'm curious to see what happens to UNC once we get into conference play. Much like the Big 12, they've had some ups, they've had some downs in non-conference play, but what happens when you're on the road in some of these really tough conference environments? That's what I'm curious to see. That defense still does not look very good under Gene Chizik. The offense, though, doing just enough all three weeks to get by. Yeah, and that's going to be the story this year for UNC. If they want to be a contender in this league, it's going to need to be on the backs of that offense. And so far it's working, but like you said, more talent is coming soon on the schedule, and we're going to see if that holds up. Wake Forest 45, Vanderbilt 25. I believe, Trey, you gave me the anchor down Commodores this week. The uh, the Demon Deacons do cover that spread, so congratulations to you there. You went, uh, you were perfect this week, I believe, in the ledger picks, or at least in your picks. So good for you. Um, interesting week around the sports betting community, no doubt about that. Louisville 20, UCF 14, what the heck? The Cardinals drop an absolute stinker against Syracuse, but then they come back, they go on the road in the bounce house, and they beat Gus Malzahn in the Knights. It, it seemed like a lot of bad play calling from UCF from going back and looking at this game. A, a lot of Twitter warriors throwing Gus Malzahn under the bus for not running the football late. I think they ran for over 200 yards in this game, but a lot of it was in the first half, and then it's kind of like the Knights just stopped running the football. John Reese Plumley. Did not have a good game through the air. It was just bad throwing the football. UCF lost this game. I don't know that you could say Louisville won this. It felt like more more like the home team giving this one away. It was a full-on effect of, no, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take yeah. it. I mean, Louisville drove the field a couple times and came up empty. Um, yeah, just not a pretty game for either team that Louisville somehow found a way to win. The G5's playoff hopes are now completely resting on. SMU, I guess, because question mark UCF, Cincinnati, Houston have all lost. Obviously, UTSA is out. Coastal Carolina is still undefeated, but they didn't look very good against Gardner Webb last week. If you're hoping for another G5 appearance in the playoffs this year, better be a Ponies fan because they're the last hope. I, I saw that SMU fans were not really thrilled about their performance yesterday, but. You're right. They are they are undefeated. So maybe if that offense continues to stay hot, they answer some questions on the defensive side. They're this year's Cinderella. Miami wins over Southern Miss, thirty to seven. Slow start for the Canes, but they've got College Station up this week. Obviously, a beaten, bruised, battered A and M team that will host them. Miami has a really strong chance to just sink the Aggie ship this week in front of what will be a packed house, a lot of recruits, and some recruits that Miami is battling Texas A&M for. This would be a statement win if the Hurricanes can go on the road and win in College Station. Two more conferences to get through, plus the group of five. SEC, let's roll through them very quickly here. Arkansas 44, South Carolina 30. This was a, a, a simple case of Arkansas being the more physical team. They ran the ball down the Gamecocks' throat. Really not much in the in, in way of passing for Arkansas. KJ Jefferson, 18-21, very efficient with the football but only 162 yards and one touchdown. I wrote in our notes here, he's not going to win you many games through the air, but he's also not going to lose you many games. And when you have running back Raheem Sanders running for 156 yards and two touchdowns, 
doesn't really matter that Spencer Sanders almost threw for 400 yards. The Hogs dominated on the ground. They took control of this game, and they were the more physical team. Yeah, that ground game in Arkansas is absolutely scary. You don't want to be questioning your run defense before you play Arkansas. We threw the gauntlet down for Spencer Rattler, and I don't think he necessarily played poorly. I think the Arkansas defense caused him a lot of problems. He did throw an interception, only one touchdown, uh, but he did throw for, I think, over 300 yards. Yeah, three, 376 yards, almost 400 yards. And Antoine Wells Jr. looked really, really good as well in this game. So, yeah, I mean, threw down the gauntlet for South Carolina. They're running out of winnable conference games on the schedule. Yep. And the bowl bound express for the Gamecocks might have left the station. If they didn't <laughs> win. I, I, I don't know. It's still early in the season. They can turn it around, but they really needed to get a couple wins early. I tell you what, the crew that was taking South Carolina to win nine, 10 games. Um, what were you looking at? I, I still, uh, we, we've talked about that all off season. Uh, what were you looking at? If you're picking South Carolina to win nine games. Well, at the same time, there were a couple of us that picked A&M to win 10 games as listen, well. I don't, know, listen. I don't know if that's going to happen either. You mentioned Antoine Wells Jr., eight catches, 189 yards, and a score for the Gamecocks. So pieces in place, uh, they're just not there yet. Mississippi State, 39, Arizona, 17. Uh, you wrote in the notes about the wildest <laughs> scramble you've ever seen. If you have not seen that play, just Google Jaden Delora. Uh, Arizona, and I'm sure it's going to come up. Trey, that was insanity in like 30 seconds. It took forever for that play to develop. He ran about 50 yards in the backfield, just running around, stiff-armed a guy, shook off of another tackle, heaved it downfield, and it got intercepted. So I was on Ar- uh, I was on Arizona in this game. I thought it was going to be a weird situation for Mississippi State to cover. Credit to the Bulldogs. It was close in the first half. I, I don't remember exactly what it was at halftime, but I know it was it was a weird score. It was 15 to 10 at one point, but Mississippi State rolled with the punches. Will Rogers threw an early interception, but bounced back nicely. Good win for the Bulldogs on the road. Georgia and LSU blow out their non-conference opponents. I think LSU had 44 points against Southern with four minutes left in the second quarter. First quarter. It was- uh, I'm sorry, in the first quarter, it yeah. was a net crack game for LSU coming off of a, a just a debacle against Florida State. Um, I mean, look, you're supposed to do that against Southern, but uh, nice to see that they went out and actually executed. The only other SEC game we haven't talked about, Auburn, goodness, they looked bad against San Jose State. Their quarterback situation might be as dire as it is anywhere else in the country. At one point, they had played both TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford, and in there was one point in the first half where I think they had like 19 combined pass attempts and only two completions. It was horrendous stuff for War Eagle. They're, I, I mean, I don't see any way they survive SEC play. I think this is going to be a just trial by fire for Brian Harson. And we talked about it in the offseason. I don't know how he keeps his job without just exceeding expectations. But they did win, so they, they did. same cannot be said for a couple other teams this week. So they did win. Right. They won their clunker game. All right, let's roll through the Pac-12 here. Uh, USC 41, Stanford 28. This game wasn't even as close as the final score would indicate. USC was up big uh, after three quarters. Stanford, a couple garbage time touchdowns to bring it a little bit closer. 
Trey, you mentioned USC looks like the best team in the Pac-12, and frankly, they're the only team that has a shot for the playoff right now, at least as you would kind of project forward. Yeah, I know it's Rice and Stanford, not two schools that on the football field you're looking at as competitive, maybe in the classroom, but um, USC looked really, really good the last couple weeks. As you mentioned, it was not a competitive game. It was 41-14 after the third quarter, and Stanford got a couple garbage time touchdowns to make that look a little better. But yeah, look out for USC. They defense is a question mark still. They they have lapses at times, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they can do. Air Force pounds Colorado 41 to 10. Utah and Oregon both bounce back and score 70 plus in their games. Michael Penix Jr. throws four touchdowns for Washington. You noted interesting matchup between Spartans, uh, Michigan State Spartans coming to town against Washington next week, and then. Your Beavers, my friend. Oregon State, 35. Fresno State, 32. Jonathan Smith might be building something up there in Corvallis. It was a late touchdown at the gun to give the Beavs a 2-0 start, but they looked very good against a solid Fresno State team. Yeah, they've got Montana next week, I believe, and you know, really good FCS team that's caused some problems for Pac-12 North teams in the past, but Next week, it's a big showdown where they host USC. So that should be a really fun game to watch. I don't know if that's going to be a Pac-12 after dark situation, but USC going to Corvallis hasn't absolutely hasn't necessarily been the easiest thing for the Trojan teams in the past. So all kinds of crazy things could happen in a couple weeks. Yeah, shout out to Jake Hayner. He threw for 360 yards and still lost. You look back at the box score. If if Fresno State is able to convert either of their late second quarter field goals that were both under 30 yards. I think one of them was 25 yards. One of them was 21 yards. If they're able to get either of those or even both into the end zone, this is a completely different game. Fresno state goes into the half up instead of down by one. And maybe the whole uh, tenor of the game changes. I will say though, Fresno state's defense, it kind of fell apart at the end. Jake Hayner with a touchdown pass with 105 left, and it felt like Fresno State might have this game in the bag. Shout out Chance Nolan, though. Seven play, 73-yard winning drive with less than 60 seconds left. Deshaun Fenwick rushes for over 100 yards for the Beavers. I'm really loving the vibes up in Corvallis right now. I, I think this is a program that you have to keep your eyes on in that Pac-12 North. Yeah, I kind of highlighted them in the offseason as, you know, behind Oregon, there's not really anyone that's stepped up and claimed that number two spot since Washington's kind of fallen off over the last sure. couple of years. And Oregon State's right there. Washington State's right there. Uh, Washington, maybe on, with a new regime, has a chance for a statement win next week. So that Pac-12 North is wide open and in a new format where the top two teams, regardless of division, go to the championship in the Pac-12, then maybe being in the weaker division is going to give somebody a chance to backdoor into that championship game. Last game of note, and then we'll get out of here from the group of five ranks. UTSA 41, Army 38, a weird game out for the Service Academy. That game, a final in overtime. Roadrunners stay alive. There was several moments where it felt like 0-2 UTSA was now going to have to go on the road to Austin next week, and their season might be over before it even got started. Now, obviously, they've still got conference play left to go, but Goodness, it was going to be a tough start for the Roadrunners had they not won yesterday. And it was a really, really, obviously a two-overtime, 41-38 game. You can infer this, but it was a really fun back-and-forth game. Army's coming out slinging it this year. It's not, it's not consistent, 
and you know, Garrett's not here to defend himself right now, but Garrett has joked that he doesn't waste his time on army football. He Garrett, you need to, he's still, he's still on video, but you need to spend some time on army this year. My friend, it is a lot of fun to watch. They're slinging it all over the yard, not consistently, but back to back weeks where they've had a 75 yard touchdown pass. So yeah, Shout out to the Roadrunners for going in on the road up to New York and getting it done. Conference USA play is still wide open for that team, but it's going to be a tough test in Austin next week. Maybe they catch Texas in a letdown spot after the emotional game against Bama, but I think Texas will be ready to play in that one. Yeah, Texas, as we mentioned off the top, they will not have Quinn Ewers for that game. A couple other guys got dinged up, banged up in in the game yesterday against Alabama, so health for the, the Longhorns will be a question. I'm sure that's a game that we'll preview in its entirety uh, this week in the midweek episode. But guys, week two in the books, what what a wild start to the season. Week zero all the way now to week two. College football is the best, man. It just is. It's it's so much fun to watch. You never know what you're going to see. So it really behooves you to be in front of a TV screen, basically from the 11 a.m. window all the way through Pac-12 after dark. I know Garrett had some connectivity issues. Uh, sad to, to not get him and his way in on a couple of these games late. But, uh, you know, it was a full slate. I'm glad we got through all of it. I'm excited for the preview coming up. Uh, the, the, the week three slate might not be the same as it was in week one. You know, we were looking for uh, some possible destinations for college game day. They end up going to Boone. Now they're going for the first time ever. App State will host Troy. Um, we were trying to figure out maybe would they go to NC State for Tech? What what would they do there? So the headlining games might not be as spicy as some of the ones that we've had through these first two weeks. But if you're looking at that slate and not just so excited to sit in front of your TV, like you haven't paid attention through these first two weeks. Anything can happen on any given Saturday. And I think that is uh, certainly the most fun there. Trey, you know, when when you look over week two, I'll give you the last word here. What's the the storyline that you want to watch as it continues to develop throughout this season? Like, is there one theme? Is there one team that you're more intrigued about now through two weeks of the season? The bottom tiers of some of these conferences, we talked about in the Big 12, but you could talk about, you know, the ACC. You could talk about um, even the SEC. Some teams that we thought were going to be bottom feeders in these conferences are really competitive. And that's going to be a problem or teams that don't already have a cohesive plan on offense. You look at your Texas A&Ms, you look at your, um, you know, Baylor's. There's a lot more competency at the bottom of these conferences. And if you don't have your stuff together, ready to go by the time conference play hits, it's going to be a problem. Also, not necessarily going forward for this season, but don't schedule a Sunbelt team after or before a big game. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Maybe maybe just avoid the Sun Belt in its entirety. Just block them off the calendar because, my goodness, and that, that was going to be what I said too, was, man, these group of five teams, they have come out, whether it's through the transfer portal or what have you, we're getting more parity in college football in the regular season at the very least than I think we've had in the last couple of seasons. It feels like every week you can count on two or three of these upsets, these major upsets happening and. You know, this week's a great, great example of it. Three top 10 teams fall, eight top 25 teams fall. Just an incredible week of college football. And I, I cannot wait for week three to get going. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, who is with us in spirit, 
I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to our week two recap show. Until next time, so long, everybody. Oh!